Well, praise the Lord. We're so thankful for all of you being here in uh, this capacity crowd that we have. Uh, we're, we're just, we're thankful for everyone. And I take, I mean that from the bottom of my heart. We are very, very thankful. I do have a title for the message. It's kind of a longer one. And they taught us in cemetery, seminary that, um, they taught us not to make your titles long, but anyway, this one kind of has a little message in it. The, the title is this, America, We Have a Problem, and it's a simple message from a simple messenger. A simple message from a simple messenger. America, we have a problem. Now, let me uh, reminisce just for a moment, if you will. The second Sunday in June has uh, been our anniversary Sunday, and we actually came, and Linda thinks it was the June the 6th is when we came the first, I don't know how that, I haven't looked at the calendar how that worked out, but she said it was June the 6th was our very, very first official Sunday. We actually moved in in May uh, over here at the parsonage that burned to the ground after we moved out, but um, because we ended up painting uh, the the parsonage needed painting, and so we actually went over there and painted it. The church supplied the uh, the paint, and we painted it, and and moved in in May. But uh, her family has had uh, Linda's family has had up until recently, the first Sunday in June as a family reunion, and so that was already on the calendar. So we talked to them about us being gone for the, the family reunion, and we'd actually officially start the second Sunday. So that's how that came about. But <clears throat> that was 36 years ago. 36 years ago. I was 38 and had black hair. Linda was always young. Julie was 13. Rod was a right at 11, 10 or 11-ish. He just had his birthday yesterday um, on the 11th of June. But he was, he was 11, and then Brian was 7 when we came here. So we had little kids when we came, younger kids. And the church was running. I was kind of counting, you know, we have more here today, even though we're very low. We have more here today than our first, our, our first official Sunday at the church, we were running 35, and we were the five of them. So we had about 30 people in attendance, because what had happened prior to our coming, the church was on the verge of really shutting down. Um, the Dansons were here, and uh, the former pastor, there had been a big issue that had come up, and I don't even remember what the issue was over then, but the issue came up. And he's, he took off with a, a, a big portion of the young couples, and they followed him to start a church. And so they went out and, and tried to start this church, and even one of the guys, and I'm not saying this had anything to do with uh, the church starting or whatever, but they did have one of their younger couples, the guy who worked at Intercontinental Airport, and he went out, he was an electrician, he went out, and somebody was supposed to shut off one of these high-powered breakers uh, in, the, in the tarmac, and he, he raised it up and stuck his hand down there, and it wasn't off, and it killed him, I mean, just instantly. So they had, right off the bat, they had a funeral for one of the new members, or, or the members, younger members. So a church, the, that little church struggled, our church was struggling. And um, I've not really seen good things come from splits too much at all. Uh, but uh, so their church closed and shut down and the pastor went on and, and, and did other things. So here we were with about 30 people and most of the older ones. And when I came, they had an a, a adult Sunday school class and a woman was teaching all the men, all the women. She was teaching everybody, all the adults. And they had a little prayer chapel out here, and at 5.30 in the morning, most mornings, uh, they had about six ladies that would meet. And so we started, Linda would join them, and we'd go over there. 
and and I would come from time to time and pray. <clears throat> and they prayed there. One of their prayers, I remember them praying, Lord, we want our church to be led by men. Right now, women lead the church. The women are all in charge. The men are just taking a back seat, not doing anything. And uh, we want the men to lead. We know that's your best. And so uh, we saw God gradually uh, change that. I started teaching on elders and elder rule and church government. I just started. I told them, I said, there are just some things I want to share. And they said, if it's in the Bible, it's okay. So we, I just went for about a year, year and a half. And finally, on a business meeting night, on a Wednesday night, the church literally voted to go to elder rule, and they voted to give up their right to vote. And that, I mean, I don't know if you can imagine how significant that was, but that was really an act of God because they were saying, we are voting to say this is the last time we'll ever vote in this church. We're not going to vote anymore. We're going to turn it over to the elders. And um, so that was big for them because they had never even heard. They thought elders meant Presbyterian or something. They did. They had never. They most of them had not even thought about elders, period. So we were in a spot because we didn't have any elders, except for me. I was ordained, but we had deacons. So we came up with a supplemental elder policy. And we said uh, we appointed two of the deacons, a chairman and one other, and they would they would fill in the office of that spot until we till God would raise up elders, and He did. He started sending families, and the Greggs were the first one of the first families to start coming here when the church was just the original group, and uh, people started gradually hearing about North Belt and conservative and family and. Uh, so here came the Greggs, and others followed suit. The Sackets, I never will forget the Sackets. Steve called me, and he said, Rod, I think we're going to come join the church. I said, I don't think it's time yet. There's still some kinks that need to be worked out before y'all come. And so they postponed for a while, and then they came and joined, and they told the Myers about the church, and then the Myers came, and Doug became our first, other than me, ordained elder, Doug Meyer. Then my sister and their family and a bunch of different ones, and I can't, there's no way to remember them all, and you can understand that, but it was such a blessing to see God moving in such a powerful way. Uh, we've, we've really had some real sweet relationships over 36 years, and, uh, and I realize a couple of things about the longevity. It's all God's grace. We know that it's all about God's grace and and the church having unconditional love and biblical forgiveness for us uh, and enduring patience, hearing and listening and putting up with our humanity. It's and we've met some of the most amazing Christians on the face of the earth. And we mean that we everywhere we go, we talk about y'all in a positive light, you're such a sweet church, a loving church, a forgiving church, a patient church, and so we tell people, and they hear about y'all everywhere we go, because we, we appreciate you and, and love you so much. Now, I want to get down, that's all we're going to say about that, I want to get down to the simple message from a simple messenger, America, we have a problem. Um... America, we have a problem. You've heard that term, Houston, we have a problem. Well, America, I believe we have a real problem on our hands. Um, and I think the world has a problem. I think mankind has a problem. I think, I think our, the total existence here, and you don't really have to be a rocket scientist to realize. All you've got to do is just pay attention a little bit, listen a little bit, bring in a little bit of news and information, and, uh, and you could realize, you know, something's really going on here. And, and I would describe America at this point, this is just my own personal, and a lot of this is just, I'm going to tell you that a lot of this is going to be personal. We're going to get into the Word here in a little bit and look at some Scripture. But I believe personally that America is spiraling out of control 
at, at the fastest rate that I've ever seen in my lifetime. I've never seen anything like what we're seeing today. Uh, I've never, we had gasoline shortages uh, in the past. In fact, our church at Highlands, I was pastor at Highlands, and, and we, uh, we uh, did, uh, we had a van, a church van, and we did uh, sacks with gospel tracts, and we had water, and we had uh, snacks, and for the lines, the long lines, gas lines, and we'd go up and down the street and pass out those uh, sacks and give people the gospel and give them some water, and so so we've seen gas lines, we've seen some hard times, we've seen, seen things, but I've never seen it like what I'm personally, what I think I'm seeing right now. Everything's costing more. Um, and then there's speculation, and not to fear, because we're as a believer, we're not afraid of the future, but the speculation of the food shortages that might possibly come uh, in the fall, they're talking about and things like that. It's a lot of reasons uh, that things could change. We know that there's a baby food uh, shortage right now they're talking about, and the shelves are bare in some of these areas. Uh, gasoline, I mean, it, it, you know, once again, everybody's seeing that. You go to the gas pump and it's costing you a lot more. Uh, what, two years, two and a half years ago, gasoline was two-something a gallon, and uh, where we get gas there on 45, it's uh, 479 now, and that was last Sunday. And uh, so just everything is costing more, groceries are costing more. And I, and I heard there's a guy that we listen to, Linda and I have heard, he's a, a economist, and he he's... Very, very good black man, very sharp. We just love hearing him. And he was saying, you know, in our country today, there are families right now that are the parents, either one or both parents are skipping a meal or two a week to let their kids eat because they don't have enough food in the house for their kids to even eat. And so they're skipping out so their kids can have food to eat. And then, and then you move to another topic, other, get off the economy, Get off the high prices and inflation, which is at a 40-year high. Um, get off all that, and you get into the subject of crime. Uh, I've never seen anything like it in my lifetime, the crime that's taking place in America, people killing each other, stealing from each other. And, and they're not stealing. It's not because they're hungry. It's not starving people going after people that have a stash of food. It's stealing and, and uh, robbing and just mean things happening in, in the stands with fans and things. It's uh, rioting and burning and looting and destroying property. And, and then you have the homeless, the homeless. You have tent cities, which in my lifetime, we'd never had really anything. We had overpasses in Houston, and occasionally there'd be somebody with a cardboard box that was a house. But that was occasional. I mean, there are cities in America where the streets are lined with tents and people are living out of tents today. And of course, the border crisis is another whole thing. Immorality is just rampant, running rampant. Sodomy. We, we are now accepting, an, as a nation, we're accepting open parades that support things that are totally anti-biblical, anti-God, and cities and mayors are forcing people to be in the parades to, to say that our city is supporting you. And that, and that would, have, would have never happened 40 or 50 years ago. So there are really some awesome, bad, terrible things happen. Abortion I think, uh, was it 62 million babies uh, have been uh, murdered? And so, uh, and, and then let me just throw a little side note. I was having a conversation with one of my sons, and um, I said, it, does anybody, you know, this is what I'm saying, simple message from a simple messenger, but th some things just seem so simple to me. Is it amazing to anyone, have we snapped that Satan, he is fighting, he fights everything that God is for. 
If God is for something and it's big to God, he's going to attack. He's going to attack the church. He attacks families. But these three areas, the birth of Christ, does anybody ever get the connection? The birth of Christ and the counterfeit for the birth of Christ, the celebration of Jesus coming and becoming a man living and, and being born of a virgin. And, and then the, the death of Christ, the crucifixion, the sacrifice, his shed blood for us. And, and then the empty tomb, he, he was placed in that tomb and was raised the third day. But Satan has a counterfeit for that. And, and, he does, and then the rainbow, the rainbow, the promise that God would never again destroy the earth with water and flood. Folks, I'm going to tell you right now, and I'm just, I just want to tell you in love, but I'm not going to let the sodomites ruin my appreciation and love for the rainbow. When I see a rainbow, I rejoice, and they are trying to turn it into something wicked and evil. And so we don't have to, we don't have to let them win on these issues. We know where we stand biblically, and we just need to continue to, to trust the Lord and, and uh, allow Him to encourage our hearts. Now, back to the crime issue. Um, it's important that we, that we understand some things about the increase in the mass killings. Uh, not, this, not this weekend, but last weekend, uh, we, everyone probably was aware that across our nation, there were 13, 12 to 13 mass killings in, in different states all across our country. Um, 13. Kenneth McDonald came out to our house on Wednesday. We were spending some time with him. We were talking about this. It's just like, what is going on with all of this? Mass killing is where multiple people die and many are injured. And if we're not careful, and if we're not careful, we could get caught up in the emotion. We could get caught up in the emotional emotion and the terrible tragedy. And it is all of that. It's terrible. It's, uh, it's horrific. I can't imagine what families are going through. But we could get caught up in the emotion of it and get uh, burdened down with all the emotion and miss the obvious. We could miss the obvious. And I believe it was summed up, and I've told this story probably, I don't know, three times, four times maybe in 36 years, but I believe it was summed up where we're going with this is summed up by this black preacher uh, that uh, one night when I was on patrol, and y'all know, you've heard me say, I was on the tax squad. Tax squad was a group, we had about 75 officers, and we saturated high crime areas in the city of Houston. We, we would go, we had a blue and white car, but we had no light racks, no siren, and we would just go into these high crime areas, Jensen and Lyons, and we'd just go in in mass, and we would stop everybody that was rolling, we would um, go into beer joints and walk in and just tell them. I mean, honestly, we just walk in and say, everybody up against the wall. I mean, it, it, we police, it was, it was hard. We walked in. We, sometimes we had a shotgun with us. They had canine dogs with us. We'd walk in to a, a, a bar, a, a beer joint. They would have 200 or 300 people in it, and you could literally hear pistols hitting the floor and things dropping on the ground when they would get up against the wall, they'd empty their pockets and they would fall and we'd go by and say, is this belong to you? Oh no, I don't know where that came from. And so we, so the crime rate dropped, but the city council was bombarded by the business people saying our business is it's being, uh, we're dying out here. And, uh, but the murder rate dropped. It was an amazing thing. But um, one night, we're on patrol, and um, the call went out that a regular patrol officer was chasing a man. Now, keep in mind, we didn't have radios that we carried on our shoulders. 
We didn't have any communication. When you left the car, that was it. So he was chasing a man in an alley around Jensen and Lyons. He was go they were going down the alley, and they were exchanging gunfire back and forth with each other. And so uh, the, the perpetrator, the guy, came around the corner, black man, came around the corner, and he waited up against the wall when the officer came out of the alleyway, and at seven yards, shot and missed. And the officer was prepared, of course. He spun, and he shot and hit the guy, and he went down, and he staggered, and he fell. Now, this time, I'm driving up, and I'm, I'm seeing the body on the sidewalk, and he fell at the door of a mission, if you can imagine, and the mission had a sign on it, and he was on the concrete, on the sidewalk, down, and the windows, if you can imagine, like I'm up on the second story here, and the windows swung open. And a black preacher leaned out, and now there's a crowd building because they, they come when action, and there's police cars and crowds and the person down here. And he leans out, and he starts pointing his finger at everybody and saying, this is because of sin. This is sin. Sin has caused this. It's sin, sin, sin. And I'm just standing down there looking like, man, this is incredible. A guy is dying. People are frantic. People are all worked up and emotional. And this preacher is leaning out over the crowd, yelling to them, saying, this is what has caused this problem. And it is sin. It is sin. And I believe with all of my heart, I will never forget that. I will never forget that scene that night. He spoke so, he was so forceful in his speaking. But he said, sin is the problem. And this is what I believe. I believe that many of us have overlooked the obvious and the simple message. America, we have a problem. And the problem is sin. The problem is sin. The answer to our problem is salvation through faith in Jesus Christ, God's only son. Now, I want to warn you that we need to be careful that we don't get caught up into the world's approach to solving our problems that we don't get caught up in the world's approach to solving our problems. Now, studies are being done and have been done. Research goes on into the individuals that commit these terrible acts of violence. And they, they do research and they go back into the backgrounds and they try to figure out what correlation what do they have in common what is the common thread with these people what do they have in common what is it that this guy over here that didn't know this other guy that they have in their background that's so similar and so some of the suggestions of, uh, and these are just Acts of violence are taking innocent lives. Just people going along, making, just doing their, their life, and their life is ended by this act of violence. So I'm going to list a few things that, that, that we uh, have heard, and probably some of us have thought and probably said, you know, that's probably the reason, or part of the reason at least. Um. One thing I've heard many, many times, and I'm going to just give this list and then uh, we'll kind of come to some scriptural conclusions here. Um, people mention video games, the violence in video games, and uh, they say that that's, that's the thread that 
that is common and, and uh, that we didn't have 20 years ago, we have today, and, and they put a lot of blame on video games. Other research shows that a lot of these people have something in common uh, as far as their home life. They have broken homes. They come from broken homes. They have no father, uh, no father image in the home. And so these are broken homes, no, no father there. And so that's one of the things that it's kind of a common thread that they found that's in some of these folks' lives. Now, I did hear an interview that was very interesting to me, and I wish I could pronounce this word, but I heard an interview with two doctors, and they were correlating something that they thought, and they, they said this well, really could be a real possibility. And they were explaining the usage and the uh, legalization of marijuana. And they were explaining that of years gone by, there's a chemical in marijuana, and some of you are probably much more aware of this. I, you can mention it. I mentioned it to Kenneth, and he said, oh, yeah, he knew exactly what I was talking about. But it's, uh, it's THC. And I've got the whole spelling of it. It's a long word. I could spell it for you. I could never say it. But marijuana contains this THC. And back years and years ago, the uh, marijuana that was grown then did not have as much of the THC in it as it does today. And the THC that makes the, the uh, marijuana, the drug of marijuana, more potent. It, it makes it more addictive. It makes it like where people want it more because it's a higher, they, I think they said something like 90 to 95% uh, of this THC in it. And uh, it just makes it more addictive. And, and, they, and it also, it creates anxiety and it creates agitation and it creates anger. And they were saying their opinion was with the more of the marijuana use that's going on, with especially these, this age group, they felt like that some of these people might be all messed up in their minds because of the THC, the increase of the THC, and they are becoming agitated and their conscience is dulled where they go out and, and create these, do these crimes. So the more they use this marijuana on a regular basis and the higher the THC level in it, the more likely they would become uh, to be agitated and go out and do harm to innocent people. And I heard that and I said, you know, that sounds, that's probably one of the best ex explanations I've heard. It, that could help explain road rage. Why road rage? I mean, we had people today. I mean, literally just acting crazy on the road. It's just like, you know, if you drive the speed limit and you're in front of them, they are they are get angry after you because of the uh, the craziness. And so uh, it it's just unbelievable, actually. Another that you've heard is people have taken God out of the schools. And so they say that. And then, of course, the guns. They get into the guns and they say it's the gun's fault. And, um, and so you have to understand there's an agenda. of there's a, there's, There have been, it's always been there, an agenda to disarm America. And so you have to be aware that any opportunity that they uh, can use to promote their view of disarming America. I mean, when a politician, when the crime tape is still around the building and they're up shaking their finger in the camera's face and saying, it's the gun's fault, we need to do, take away the guns, you know there's an agenda there and they're just trying to fulfill their agenda. So I want to, and here, I want to just say something very simple. This is not science, rocket science, but... Uh, I don't know if you've ever noticed this or not, but you, you can make all the laws in the world, but I've noticed with my experience and just being where I am in life, um, 
Criminals don't obey laws. Lawbreakers are lawbreakers. And so you can, it's against the law, it's against the law to kill people, but that hasn't stopped them. It's against the law for a felon to possess a firearm. That doesn't stop them. And the four or five people, the five people that in Centerville that were killed the other day, they were killed, they were stabbed to death. And then he got firearms from their ranch and went out and had a shootout with the police and was killed by the police. And so he was a felon, an escaped felon, and that didn't stop him. Folks, it's just so plain and simple. Criminals do not obey laws. Um, so it's, 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 to me, it's just really simple to understand. You can make all the laws of the world. The only ones who are going to obey are the law-abiding citizens. So, criminals don't need more laws because they're not going to obey them. They need a change of heart. People that are out committing these crimes and doing this violence, they need a heart change. And their only hope for them, for lost sinners, is Jesus Christ and faith in Him and giving their lives to the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's the only hope for America. The only hope for America is not a better economy or a change in the White House. The only hope, the real hope for America is a genuine Holy Ghost revival. And without Christ, where would most of us be? I mean, have you ever thought about what, if you hadn't been a, a, a believer, you hadn't gotten saved, where would you be in life? I probably would be dead by now if it wasn't for Jesus Christ being my Lord and Savior. So I want to take us now to the book of Romans chapter 5, if you will. Romans chapter 5. That was kind of a long introduction to get where we're going. Romans 5. I'm going to read several verses here out of Romans. So bear with me as we, we read several of these. Let's begin in verse 8. Romans chapter 5, verse 8. But God commendeth His love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners. That's an incredible thought. You know, people, there are, there are denominations that teach you've got to clean up your act first. Or you've got to do something about your lifestyle first. But God commendeth His love toward us in that while we were yet, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That, that unbelievable love that God has for lost sinners, for all of us. Much more then, being now justified by His blood, we shall be saved from the wrath through Him. For if when we were enemies, and I tell you, these, key word, these are key words. We need to pay attention. You know, a lot of people raise their kids and say, you know, God loves everybody. He does love everybody. But in a lost state, we are enemies of God. In our lost condition, apart from Christ, we are His enemies. We are at enmity against God. For if when we were enemies, when we were, past tense, enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we by whom we have now received the atonement. Now look at verse 12, and this is important, and this is one of the things I'm wanting to really help us to be reminded of. I'm, I'm, there's no one here probably that this is new information, but just to remind us, whereby as by one man sin entered into the world. One man, 
we have a sin nature that we inherited from Adam. By one man, sin entered into the world and death by sin. And so death passed up upon all men. For that all have sinned. All of us. We're all sinners. And I ask you again, if you were not saved, where would you be today? What crimes would you have committed today? If you had not been saved, where would your life be today without Jesus Christ? For all have sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world. But sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression who is the figure of him that was to come. But not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one, many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. So you've got one man, there's sin, and one man, Jesus Christ, God's grace has abounded. And not as it was by one that sinned, so is the gift, for the judgment was by one to condemnation. But the free gift is of many offenses unto justification. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. I mean, to me, this is so simple. We all are sinners because we inherited our sin nature from Adam. And we all can be saved if we will believe in one man, the man, the, the Lord Jesus Christ, God's Son. If we would just believe on Him. Therefore, as by the offense of one judgment came upon all, all men to condemnation, even so the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Wow. That... <laughs> That's incredible. So 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteous of God in him. We have been purchased, blood-bought by the blood of the Lord Jesus, and we've been uh, bought out of the slave market of sin because of Jesus' obedience. He, he, he is willing, was willing to go to the cross and die in our place, take our place. We're the sinners. We're all guilty. And we are the ones deserving of God's judgment. But Jesus paid it all. And, and, but we're all sinners. And so it's just incredible to think that all of the individuals out there, they're trying to come up with all of these ideas and, and reasons why people do what they do and all these behavioral things, character things and, and common threads in their backgrounds. But the bottom line is, it is sin. And it's, it's just so simple. It is sin. And, and sin is, needs to be dealt with. And uh, I, I'm telling you, I believe this with all my heart. If some of these people had, that had been out here in the news and committing these acts, if they had gotten saved, we wouldn't be hearing their uh, acts of violence. Now, my wife gave me a nice uh, study Bible, Matthew Henry study Bible. And um, I, I want to read something. It's real short, what I, I read from him about this. The disobedience, this is from Matthew Henry, 
The disobedience of the first Adam ruined us. The disobedience of the first Adam ruined us. And the obedience of the second Adam, Jesus, saved us. The disobedience of the first Adam ruined us. The obedience of the second Adam, Jesus, saved us. He also, he also explained that, and I've seen this because we have a lot of glass, a lot of windows in the back, on the, on the back side of our house, just big windows. And early in the morning when the sun's coming through, you can see the rays coming in. And you can actually see dust particles from the, from the uh, sunlight coming through. And, and he pointed out, I thought this was really, really neat. He said, uh, the glass reveals the spots, but the glass doesn't cause the spots. And he was referring to the law, how the law exposes that we, we, we break the law. We break God's law. We are sinners. And the reason we're sinners is because we inherited. We are born with a sin nature. And I, am, I sin, and someone described it one day like a spider web, all these different types of sins. We all commit these different sins. But it's, but it's because of a sin nature. I'm born with it. Our, you know, isn't it amazing, your little ones, your little babies, you don't have to teach them the word no. They, they learn that from the very get-go. They know how to shake their head. Have you ever noticed most little babies don't shake their head like that at first? They shake their head like that. And that, I believe, that's just indicative of what is inside. And you don't have to, you don't have to teach them how to be sinners. But we have to be aware. We're, you know, just because, and this is what, this is what is so sad about just dealing with outward conformity. When you just deal with the outward, and, and we've seen that some here at this church, where people would come through, and I mean, they'd get their little kids, then their kids would be lined up like ducks in a row, and I mean, you know, they'd all rise, all sit, all rise, all sit, they'd march out like little soldiers, and it, would, it was just outward, but when they became adults, when they started making decisions on their own, then they started denouncing Christ, they started uh, boozing it up with alcohol, they started doing other things. And it, it was just all an outward show. And that's why it's got to be something with the heart. It's got to be a heart change. That's what I mentioned last week about being an adult probation officer. Being an adult probation officer, I had over 100 people on my caseload. They were criminals. They had been caught. They had been given probation. The government approach, the state's approach was put them in these programs and we can change them. And it never worked. It was only temporary. It was only temporary. The only real hope for real change in a person's life or in America is a heart change. It's going to have to be something that takes place between an individual and the, the Savior, the Son of God, Jesus Christ. It's not, the, these changes are not going to come. And people are saying, we need, you know, in Uvalde, they've mentioned, oh, what we need out here is we need, uh, we need a, a mental health clinic. I mean, I've heard them say that. We need a mental health clinic. A mental health clinic is not going to give the people what they need. They need a revival in Uvalde. They need people that are believers, Christians, to be aware that people's lives, life is short. And you have no guarantee of tomorrow. And we ought to be ready and eager to give the gospel every opportunity that the Lord leads us to give it. Because that's the only hope for change. People are going to have to turn to Jesus and there's no way to change a person's character. There's no way um, to see lasting results in a person's life apart from salvation and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So Hebrews, 
I want to show you in Hebrews 3.13. If you would turn there, please. Hebrews 3.13. Hebrews 3.13. And this, this is what I believe. There are times I put my head on the pillow on Sunday night and I say, the church was fed. This is what I believe. I believe we're actually doing what this scripture says to do right now. We're being obedient to scripture. And it says in Hebrews 3.13, But exhort one another daily while it is called today. In other words, the brevity, you don't have, you don't have any guarantee of tomorrow. And while you have an opportunity, you need to exhort one another. Lest any of you be hardened and you can see this in the lives of people, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Exhort one another daily, while it is still called today, or while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. You see, sin doesn't tell the truth. Sin is deceptive. Sin is a liar. Sin will convince you it's not sin's fault or the, 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 the point to all other directions. And it's important that we understand that sin is deceitful. And if we allow it to have a hold in our lives, our hearts can actually become hardened. And we can become hardened to the deceitfulness of sin. I believe that 18-year-old that went into that elementary school in Uvalde, Texas. He was from a broken home. He was surrounded by drugs. His grandfather, I heard an interview with his grandfather. His grandfather said, oh, I, I didn't know there were any guns here in the house. I, we, I can't have guns because I've been in prison. I'm, I'm a felon. But this is where he moved. He left. His parents' home, and, and his dad was, I've been told, I can't prove it, but uh, his dad's gone somewhere. I'd heard prison. I don't know. But the young man was lost. He had no purpose in life. We can blame it on all the different things that we've discussed here today. We can say, well, it was this, and it was a broken home, and it was the drugs. He was lost. He didn't know Jesus. He didn't have any hope. He didn't have any purpose in his life. He needed a Savior. He needed Jesus Christ to save him and radically change his life. And, it, it, and you can be in the worst of situations and be the, in the most drastic home life and if you meet Jesus, you can be changed. <clears throat> Your life can be changed. You can have a change of direction, a change of eternity, you know, a lifestyle change. And you can have meaning and purpose and you can go from there. And look, some of the, some of the greatest people that have ever talked about their faith have come from very difficult situations. I'm convinced if he had been reached with the gospel and if he had believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, he would not have killed all those children. I, I believe that. He needed Jesus. Just like the escaped convict needed Jesus. He needed the Lord Jesus Christ to change him. But sadly, just sadly, I personally believe they're both, the 18-year-old and the escaped convict, are both burning in hell today. But let me just say this, church. And I've had the battle. I mean, you know, I'm human. We're all human. But we shouldn't be rejoicing over that. We ought to be heartbroken that somebody in their life, and, and they might have, they might have been exposed to the gospel, and we have to, 
We know that they had at least had an opportunity to receive Christ at least. They had heard the gospel enough to be able to believe at least one time. But it just causes me to say to you on our 36th anniversary of being here at this church, it causes me to say to all of us, to me, to my wife, to my family, to all of us, we need to take advantage of every opportunity and it needs to be spirit-led. It needs to be what God orchestrates and God ordains. But we need to be very ready and willing to give the gospel. And my hat goes off to the Cepedas and others, these Bible clubs, Aaron, the, all those that are out there doing these Bible clubs, and people that just throughout the week talk about their faith in Jesus Christ. And, and that's the only way to change America is one heart at a time. So let's not despair. Let's do what we are called to do as individual believers, one at a time, sharing our faith, with those who are lost and hell-bound without Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. So we gave a lot of information. It's just, just information as an introduction. But the Scripture says, because of one man, Adam, we are all sinners. We got it. We inherited it. And, and apart from saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, I tell you, I would not be standing here in this pulpit today. So praise God for all those that believe. Let's pray. Let's be willing to do what we're called to do. And that's to spread the gospel and give others the opportunity to come to the saving faith of Jesus Christ. So let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the truth of your word. Such a simple, simple message. But we all need help. Our country needs help. Our world needs help. We're in trouble. And we can look and cast blame on every hand and point fingers everywhere. And that's kind of our nature. To cast blame and say it's this one's fault or that fault. But I thank you, Father, that the scripture makes it very, very clear. The fault is because of our sin. Our sin nature that we inherited from Adam. And the only solution, the only remedy, the only possibility of a change is by faith in the, the Lord Jesus Christ who died on Calvary to take our place on the cross. Because it should have been us that was crucified. It should have been us that was nailed there. But it was Him. He took our place. And He became sin for us. So, Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the fact that you love us so much. And I pray today that you would accomplish your will. If anyone today in this room has never been saved, I pray to get saved today before it's too late. And I pray you'd motivate the church, the believers, to share the gospel every opportunity we get. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.